Of his mission, Elder John H. Groberg said, Let me state clearly that I do not feel my mission was any more special or purposeful than any other person's mission. Everyone's mission and marriage is special to them because it is theirs. And if they put their whole heart and soul into it, God will make it eternally meaningful. End quote. However, John Groberg's mission has become meaningful to many people around the world, specifically the Tongan people he came to love, his future wife, and not to mention the hundreds of thousands of people who have watched Other Side of Heaven 1 and 2. Elder John H. Groberg is an Emeritus General Authority 70. He and his wife, Jean Groberg, are the parents of 11 children. Just 10 years after returning home from his young mission to Tonga, the Grobergs, along with their five young daughters, returned to Tonga as mission president and wife. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I'm honored to have John and Jean Groberg here with me today. Elder and Sister Groberg, welcome. Thank you. We are so excited to have you. First of all, let's talk about these movies. These movies, Other Side of Heaven 1 and 2, are based on your lives, which is pretty surreal. Is it weird to have your life in a movie? It is, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine. But did you ever anticipate that so many people would respond to the movie in the way that they did or that it would have the success that it's had? Oh. Never, never even thought of it. Never even thought we would have a movie in the first place. So, no, the answer is I, it wasn't anything we planned or, or hoped for. It's just we're grateful that it's worked out the way it has. Absolutely. Well, we are so grateful that you you shared these stories. And Elder Groberg, you wrote these stories out of obligation, not obligation, out of obedience to Elder President Thomas S. Motson, what kind of gratitude do you feel toward him in retrospect that he encouraged you to write these things down? Well, I feel deep gratitude for him because, as he said, John, if you don't write them down, that'll be a chapter of church history that'll just be lost because we don't do things like that anymore, and uh, you've, you've just got to do it. And I had never written a book before. I had no idea about how to go about it, but uh, with his encouragement, uh, I did. And, and I I know that there was an extra spirit to help me do it because it was responding to a request from one of the members of the 12, and you're always blessed if you obey them. Yeah. And President Monson, you had gotten to know him very well because he was assigned to the South Pacific. Is that right? That's right. When we were called as mission president in 1966, he had been assigned to the South Pacific in 1965, just the year before. So he was our first contact, and we spent a lot of time with him, not just hours, but days and even weeks, and became very well acquainted. He was so supportive and helpful in a lot of challenges that we had at the time. But uh, he, he, it was just, it was a marvelous experience. And then, of course, being a general authority, I worked with him on many occasions, too. Yeah. 
so neat. So neat to have had that opportunity to get to know a prophet on that level. I want to start, if it's okay, with kind of the first movie, your time as a young missionary. And Jean, at this point, you were waiting for a missionary, which is something that resonates with a lot of women in our culture, I think. (laughs) Um, But when you think back on your time as a young missionary, Elder Groberg, what are the most vivid memories of that time in your life? Well, I think the fact that uh, it actually happened, as I look back, sometimes I say, Wow, <laughs> you know, was that did that really happen uh, yeah, to me? Yeah, and yet at the time it was uh, it wasn't all that scary. I mean, it was scary, but it was just that was just the way it was. I didn't really think it was that uh, different because I didn't really have anything else to compare it with. But I, I grew up in, in a farming community in Idaho, and we were just taught that. You do what you commit to do, and you don't you don't ever say that's too much or I'm not going to do it. That you know, if they assigned you two rolls of sugar beets to hold, you did them, even though you were tired after the first half of the first row. You you just you just did it. You know that was it was during the depression and the Second World War, and I think that was sort of my attitude. I mean, we had a lot of horrendous experiences as you look back, but at the time. Even though they were scary, well, that's just what you do. You're you're here. You agreed to come, and you just do it. And uh, so, I, I don't know if that answers your question or yeah. not. But that was kind of my feeling. Yeah, Gene, we see little bits of your <laughs> life in that first movie. What didn't we see about what was going on in your life while your husband was on his mission, your boyfriend at the time, and what were you learning while he was away? Well. Um, I you mentioned earlier that I was waiting. I was writing to a missionary. <laughs> we had not made any commitments at all, just that we were good friends and uh, both felt really good about him going on a mission. And our only agreement was that we would write to one another and wait and see what the Lord had in mind yeah. for our lives. So I continued my studies at BYU my junior and senior year. and had a wonderful time dating others and had wonderful roommates who were a great influence on my life and graduated with a degree in elementary education and took a, my first job in Anaheim, California as a first and second grade school teacher and busy there with lots of friends. And the letters that came from the Pacific were wonderful and exciting, and I grew to gain a, a much increased appreciation of the kind of person that Elder Groberg was becoming. And through the time, decided that I really did want to at least be around when he got home to see what would happen. Yeah, it's so, so neat. So how long after when you got home, Elder Groberg, how long was it until the two of you got married? And a half months, about, yeah, a couple of months uh, I got home the last of June or first of July, and we got married in September. It was a good decision. Yeah. <laughs> good decision. <laughs> <Great one. laughs> 
Um, so one thing that I love looking back on that first movie, which was 18 years ago, yeah. which is so crazy. I've never felt older, um, <laughs> is, is looking back and, and seeing Christopher Gorham and Anne Hathaway. Not many people, Gene, can say that an Oscar winner portrayed them in a film. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. But looking back on that, and they were two people that were, you know, up and coming actors, and they were not members of our faith. And they, to me, did such a good job of portraying, especially Christopher Gorham, that experience of being a missionary. How do you think he was able to kind of capture that missionary spirit, even as somebody that's not a member of our faith? Well, he's, of course, a good actor, for one, but he's a good man, too. He's uh, kind of contra what a lot of Hollywood people do. That is, he's married and stayed married to the same woman. They have three children. Uh, they're Catholic. They're very good people, very devoted. His oldest child is autistic, very quite autistic, and sometimes that drives couples apart, but in their case, it's pulled them closer together. And he did uh, go out with the missionaries in Rarotonga for a full day. Yes, he had that actual experience of walking and going with the missionaries. Teaching mm -hmm. lessons and wow. so forth. Just, But I think, I think he's—we have to acknowledge that there are a lot of good people that aren't members of the church— and they have good, high moral standards. And uh, I, th I think he just, I don't know. One thing, he fell in love with Fecky, just the part as he read the book and read the script. And that when you asked about my first mission, one of the things that really helped me a lot was Fecky himself. I just felt like there was someone I could rely on and help. And I got the idea that uh, Chris got that feeling. Uh, Chris Gorham, that yeah, here's a here's a really good good man, and so uh, that's about all I can say. I don't yeah. know if Gene might say something on. Well, they they called us before starting to do the shooting and asked questions, and both Annie called me and Chris talked to John, and um, you know they they were both sincere in wanting to get the feel and the spirit of the people they were portraying. So That's so neat. And you were able to meet them on the set. Have you kept in touch? I think you have kept mm -hmm. in touch with Christopher Gorham. Yeah, well, yes, he's went on our family Christmas <laughs> letter yeah, he's, list, and he, he has uh, said that he enjoys getting those letters. So I was happy <laughs> to hear that. So neat. We haven't, you know— of course, Annie has sort of taken off on a different tack. But when I first met Annie, um, you know, this was the first full movie she did. She did this actually before she did The Princess Diaries. Yeah. Uh, but they waited till after The Princess Diaries came out. To, uh, came out. But uh, when I first met Annie, uh, I don't know what she expected, but... Uh, as I talked to her, I said, so you're the lucky girl that gets to play the part of my wife, you know. And she kind of was taken back, you know, rather than saying, oh, you're, we're lucky to have you. I said, you're the lucky girl that gets to play my wife. And she's, her first comment, she just looked for a while and then says, you really love her, don't you? And I said, I sure do. I, and I think she felt that and kind of tried to convey that. Yeah. Through, 
Well, they both they both did an incredible job. You mentioned Fecky. For those listening, Elder Groberg, who are not as familiar with your story, who is Fecky? Fecky was my first companion. When when I arrived in Tonga, it took me three months to get there. That's one of the reasons it was a three-year mission is because they didn't start counting the time until you actually <laughs> arrived in the mission field. Now they count it when you go in the MTC, but we didn't have an MTC in those days. But uh, the mission president assigned me to go to the farthest island away from church headquarters there in Tonga, New Topitapu, which is closer to Samoa than it is to Tonga, but it's part of Tonga. And he assigned me to go with Feki Bo'uha as my first companion. Feki was not a, a full-time missionary. He was a building missionary. He, he didn't even hold the Melchizedek priesthood. He was a priest. In those days, they didn't ordain people to the Melchizedek priesthood until they were married. In Tonga. In Tonga, yeah. But he turned out to be just a perfect companion. He didn't know the discussions because he hadn't been a missionary, but he knew the gospel, and he had a strong testimony. But the main thing is President uh, Coombs, who was my mission president, assigned him, and I said, you protect Elder Grover. Don't let anything happen to him. <laughs> you know? And boy, he took that to heart. And I, and I felt it. He just, there were a lot of challenges, but Fecky was, so he was my first companion. I hear of people that get tired of being in an area for several months and the same companion. Well, I was in on Utopitapu for 13 months with the, with Fecky, the same mm-hmm. companion for 13 months. So I don't have much sympathy for people <laughs> <laughs> complain. It was wonderful. Yeah. He was wonderful and very, very strong in, in the church and in his testimony and in his ability to protect me and to help me. Yeah. And I grew to love him just through the letters, through comments that he would— John would write in the letters about the things that Fecky would do and say. And Unfortunately, he, uh, he, he married, and they had a, a couple of children, and then he got cancer and died as, in his 40s. So I didn't really have a long association with him afterwards. Yeah. Were you able to meet him, Gene, when you all went back yes. to Tonga? Okay. He, he was at that time. He married a girl from New Way Island, which was part of our mission but not part of Tonga. And uh, we went there and had the opportunity to meet Fecky and Foley, his wife, and little Joe, their little boy <laughs> at the time. That was one thing I wanted to kind of ask about. You heard in letters all about Tonga. It, it was this place that I'm sure you couldn't even totally wrap your head around. And then Elder Groberg comes back. This second movie focuses on your time as a mission president in Tonga. Um, Gene, for you, when you first got there and were able to meet the people and see the place that you had only heard about in letters, what was that like for you? Well, I was pretty excited as well as a little scared. Uh, Of course, worried about being able to communicate, not knowing the language very well and but I was thrilled because I had gained a great love for the Polynesians and specifically the Tongan people through the years of writing Dear John letters. <laughs> had had an opportunity to meet just a few of them when I was at BYU, a few Polynesians. And actually, I joined the what was then called the Kiora Club and 
participated in the Polynesian-type activities uh, my last two years at BYU. So it was wonderful to be there and see for myself. I was thrilled for the opportunity and gained my own love and appreciation for the goodness of the people, their helpfulness, and their great faith. So neat. Elder Groberg, what did it mean for you to be able to go back to Tonga this time with your family and be able to share that experience with people that you love? It was wonderful. I I just enjoyed uh, every moment of it, even though, again, we had huge challenges health-wise and and just physical, you know, to get to the islands. There were no airplanes and, and cars were very few and far between, but the sailing and the, uh, we did have motor boats this time rather than sailboats when I was there the first time as a young missionary. But still, the seas are rough and there were lots of big challenges. But again, the faith and the courage of the people and the support of President Monson, Elder Monson at the time, and Elder Hunter took over the last year or so of our time there. But uh, I just felt good, solid support from the people and from the leaders of the church and from the members, and we had good missionaries. It was, yeah, there were a lot of challenges, but but you can handle challenges if you feel like you have good support. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about some of those challenges. One challenge that you faced while you were there, your baby got sick. And you, Gene, had to come back to the United States with the baby, leaving your other children. How many other children? Five. Five, five other daughters, children. Yeah. With Elder Groberg <laughs> in President Groberg, then in Tonga. Um, what was that like? I imagine a full range of emotions. <laughs> well, that's so true. It was a, a full range of emotions. Gratitude being one of them, because we were grateful that we were now going to be able to get the help that was needed to find out what was wrong with the baby, why he was so sick. And that takes priority. You've got to do what has to be done. And uh, gratefully, I I didn't have to face the trip all alone. John's mother, my mother-in-law, had come down to be there when the baby was born. She's a great woman and <laughs> wanted to always be there when her grandchildren was born to be helpful. And so she came all the way to Tonga. And as the baby got sick, she delayed her trip back and kept back. And then he'd get well, and she'd almost be ready to go. And then he'd get sick again. And uh, so she was there and made the trip home with me. That isn't shown in the movie, but that was a great blessing to have her by my side. Yeah. Knowing the good... Tongan people would be helping with the girls there, and knowing I had the support of my parents and John's parents at home, it all works out. As he said, you just kind of take what's in front of you and move forward, do what has to be done at the time. Yeah. Elder Groberg, did you feel quite a bit of responsibility having five girls? (laughs) I'll have to tell you. A funny story, after Jean had been gone for a couple of months, of course, I was anxious to have her go because that was the opportunity for our son to live. It right. turned out that he had a, a congenital kidney problem 
that they would have never been able to detect in Tonga, but with sophisticated equipment here, and they were able to operate and, and get him stable, but they had to keep him here because he was not in a good position. They couldn't operate until he was about two years old to make the final corrections, mm. which has allowed him to live. So when Gene had been here a couple of months and it finally all the tests were in, I said, no, he can't come back, but he can stay here. And uh, so I called Gene once from, I think it was from Fiji, and I said, you know, we have about 10,000 members here, and I can handle them because we have 10 districts or 11 districts at the time. We had no stakes at the time. And we've got good district presidents, and we have pretty close to 400 missionaries at the time, counting couples, local couples. I can handle them because we've got good zone leaders and lots of help there. They're good people. But I just can't handle these five little girls <laughs> on my own. I need your help. And They've so, got you surrounded. <laughs> and so uh, it, it, the timing worked out really good. By then, it was obvious he was going to be able to live at least until the next big operation which they couldn't do for a couple of years. So we had just one year left. So Gene came back, and we didn't see him again until I didn't see him for about a year and a half. Gene saw him about a little over a year later. Wow. It's amazing. It's amazing to me the sacrifices that people make to share the gospel, and certainly yours is no exception. As you both were able to spend time as missionaries with the people of Tonga. And then in years since, I attended a temple ceiling for my old roommate about two years ago. And yeah, it would have been two years ago this this time of year. And Elder Groberg, you performed the ceiling. And the the her husband now is from Tonga. And it was such a neat thing to watch the love and admiration that the Tongan people have for both of you. And I think that that's such a testament to the love that they've felt from you. What do the people of Tonga mean to you, and what do you love most about them? Well, they're very dear to my heart. Most of the ones that we personally interacted with while while we were there, many of them have passed on now, and we're meeting their not only their children, but their grandchildren, and and uh, going to many of their weddings and things like that. So it, they're like family to us. Uh, we really love them, love their faith, their goodness, their uh, unselfishness. They're just ready to help at any moment that they feel a need. Yeah, and anyone they they they're not just with us. They're they're helpful to everyone. Right. I think that just their humility and their faithfulness, their willingness to help, and they're kind of they're uh, just being who they are. You know, there's no pretenses. Uh, that's one thing that I, I really love about the Polynesian people generally, and about the Tongans specifically. Of course, there are individual exceptions, but as a group, they really don't put on any airs that that's who I am and this is what I'm doing, you know. And and they have uh, what they call, every once in a while, they have what they call lotopuna, which means they just 
jump out of themselves almost with excitement and so forth. And sometimes that's for good. Sometimes it's for not so good. But, but they're just very genuine and very honest and very helpful and loving and kind. And, uh, and, and again, just, just this is who I am. Yeah. Do you think, Elder Groberg, looking back, that there's a reason that you fit in so well in Tonga? <laughs> That's hard to answer, but uh, I think one of the reasons is that they have a great deal of desire to help other people. And I was raised with that same feeling that you're here on earth to help other people. You're not here to get things for yourself. You're here to really help other people. That was just the way I was raised, not only in the church, but by my parents. And I think I related to that because they felt the same way, that they were here mostly to help other people, and they were very unselfish and very helpful. And so I think there was a kind of a relationship there that started right from the beginning. Yeah, I ask that because I remember at the beginning of my mission, I served a Spanish-speaking mission, and at the beginning of my mission, my companion made a comment, my trainer, she made a comment, and she just said, kind of almost in passing, she said, you'll realize why you're, you were called to be a Spanish-speaking missionary. And at the time, I was struggling with the language, and I struggled my whole mission with the language, so that was not just in the beginning, but... I kind of spent the rest of my mission looking for those reasons that I was called Spanish speaking. And I could see things about myself that made it so that I connected with the Hispanic people. And and it was just something that I was grateful that she pointed out that I then looked for because it made a huge difference for me. That's lovely. <laughs> Another thing that I love that in the movie is portrayed is this kind of the way that the entire Tongan community, regardless of their faith, kind of rallied around your family during this time. And I think that that's such a beautiful example. I think sometimes we do ourselves such a disservice when we place up walls based on faith or whatever, um, these divisions that keep us from serving. And I think that that example in the film of the Tongan people's love and and rallying around your family is so beautiful. What do we, what can we learn about that experience? What, what can we learn from that experience about serving people and loving people? Well, that's what Christ asked us to do, to love one another as his example of loving us. And I think the Polynesian people it's just part of their DNA almost. It's just their their culture, their um, putting that into practice. It, it It's a great heritage, and um, I think that needs—we all need to try that and yeah. need to put it into practice. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that it's— it's more than just our family. It's It's kind of their way of life that is— if there's a Wesleyan church being built, the Mormon or the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Catholics and others help. If we're building a church, they'll help. If someone's sick here, they'll help. It, there is a—I mean, there is tension between religions, as there is 
you know, anywhere. most places. But but that is superseded by their desire to be helpful. And so I think there is a great, great lesson for us all to learn. And I think President Nelson and the church leaders today are saying that same thing. Hey, if people need help, it doesn't matter what religion they are, we're going to help them. Right. And I think that's really part of the Tongan culture, part of the Polynesian culture, that uh, we're, we're here to help. And uh, I think it goes back to what I said earlier, that I was just raised that way, that, that that's why we're here on earth. It's uh, to help. And I, I really love the way President Monson, of course, was so willing to just help whenever we had challenges and uh, like they had hurricanes or different things where he was right on what can we do to help you know as the church and our our chapels are so often used as when there's hurricanes or earthquakes or things of that nature they a lot of the other structures are blown away but the church is there and he says don't even hesitate just invite them to come in and so I, I think that's that's my feeling anyway. Yeah. That's one lesson we can all learn, not only from the Tongan people, but from our own leaders and from the Savior himself, as Jesus said. Yeah. I I think that it's so interesting to look at the church today and how many Polynesian members there are. Um, we had the chance early last year or early this year to traveled to Philadelphia, and we were able to meet with Vice Ikehema, mm-hmm. and he told us all about his experience of his family going to the temple and the sacrifices that they made. And you just, when you hear him tell his story, it's like impossible not to feel emotional because you just feel the, the fire of their faith, quite literally. What do the Polynesian people mean to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I think they're a great example, as has been expressed, that uh, we need to use their open, loving ways to help one another and to reach out. And, and you can go almost any place in the world now and find a Tongan. <laughs> we had a grand, one of our grandsons served in uh, the French Leon mission, and in his first area there was a Tongan family living there. He was there as a rugby coach, rugby coach and oh, wow. uh, had they'd gone inactive in the church. And when they met our grandson and found out his connection to Kalipoki, they they were able to work with him and got the family active. But uh, um, almost any airport in the world, you can go and run into. So their influence is all over the world now. Elder Groberg and and Jean as well, what if you could say one thing, I imagine that we probably have, because you talked about their faith, they're remarkable. The Polynesian people, they their enthusiasm for the gospel is so inspiring to me. I'm sure that we have a lot of people that are Polynesian that listen to this podcast. If you could say one thing to them, um, specifically maybe saints in the Pacific Islands now, um, what would you want them to know? Well, I would say honor your heritage. Don't forget that who you are and who you represent as uh, people of great faith. The world is 
totally there now. They all have cell phones and <laughs> access to everything good or, or evil that's out there in the internet world and so forth, and just be true to who they are and to, to the Lord and to uh, pass, build upon the heritage. We, we're living in this modern world and and yet don't lose the goodness of what you are a part of as a member of your culture and uh, use what we have in today's world to spread the gospel and to be faithful and true. It's beautiful. Thank I, you. I think I would just echo that. Just be faithful and uh, faithful to your covenants, you know, with the temple in Tonga and in all the islands now, or most of them. That that That's so important. And there, one thing that we haven't mentioned that is kind of a characteristic of Polynesian people is their singing and their dancing and their artistic uh, expressions that way. Sometimes it gets a little bit exuberant and so forth, but but I think that's that's part of the heritage uh, of uh, every once in a while when I read through the Book of Mormon, it talks about things that all of a sudden, oh, yeah, well, that was like a tongi lao lao, or that's like a, you know, when they were all worked up about something or uh, another. And I think just, Maintain that, maintain that enthusiasm for life, but mostly your enthusiasm for being faithful and for singing praises to the Lord and and keeping your covenants. And if you'll do that, you'll not only succeed in life, but you'll be the light that the Lord intended you to be to help others. Yeah. I had the chance this year to go for the first time ever to the Polynesian Cultural Center. And this is a non-sponsored plug for the PCC. It's amazing. <laughs> I had no idea what that was like, but what an experience. And you mentioned, Elder Groberg, the chance to draw people to to the gospel, to Jesus Christ through the light that that is so evident. Um, I think that was the thing that amazed me there is it's like Disneyland, you know, you're like being cow herded through, <laughs> through this place. And there's so many people there and they're drawn to it because of that light. There are no rides, but it's all about their culture, the, po- the Polynesian culture. I imagine that speaking of drawing people to the gospel, I imagine that there were a lot of people that have seen these movies, specifically the first one, that have been drawn to the gospel because of your story. Have you heard any stories from people about that? Thousands of them, yeah. (laughs) It's uh, just constant. And um, as you mentioned, it's been 18 years, and there's still people being influenced. But yes— Many, many. I I wouldn't want to. I couldn't get into specifics, but I I would say one of the things that has really made me feel good and made me recognize that doing what President Monson wanted us to do has its own reward. Whenever you're obedient to the prophets, the Lord uses that to make good things happen. And the number of people that have served missions that have told me, you know, I really wasn't planning on going until I saw that movie. Or I was, I, I remember one young man in uh, Northern California. He said, I, I 
was not active in the church. He'd been baptized, but in fact, he drifted way, way away from the church. And he said, I just, uh, he was not living the commandments and was maybe on some things he shouldn't have been on. But he said, I just ended up in a, just went to a movie and didn't even know what it was. And it ended up being the other side of heaven. He said, I just sat there on the back row just by myself in the dark. And he said, all of a sudden, it just something. He said, all of a sudden, I was watching a movie, but I was watching something else. I was, I, I just saw myself and I, I just kind of came out and went right straight to my bishop and said, what do I have to do to straighten my life out and get ready to go on a mission? And, uh, you know, and, and of course, a lot of people joined the church. We had a letter from a lady in Texas, really not this long ago, that said that she had just gone. It's been a few years because I think she said there was back in the days when when there was a blockbuster video store. (laughs) She just went to get a video, and uh, someone said, "You know, I want a family video." And said, "Oh, try this one." And so she did, and they, her, and her family just loved it. And just a few days later, just through the neighborhood, she saw a couple of young men on bikes and said, hey, you look familiar. Come on. And anyway, it ended up that she would join the church. But, yeah, there are literally thousands and thousands of stories like that. Remarkable. Well, you both are just such a joy, and it has been such a treat to have you. Before we wrap up, my last question for you both is, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I uh, am grateful to have been born to faithful, hardworking, loyal, good parents who taught me from the beginning this was the way of life that would be happy and right and good. And I, I really know no other way except through watching friends and some other family members that have tried other paths. And I'm just so grateful for that beginning and grateful for the testimony that's grown through the years, strengthening that desire to build my life on the foundation of the Savior. We have at home a little what we call Grandma and Grandpa's Rock Garden. <laughs> we had a, a time with the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren as they've come along where we sing the song, The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock, and talk about it is the rock of the Savior Jesus Christ that our lives will be happy if we'll build on that foundation. And then they each put their name on a little rock and put it in our little basket of rocks. So cute. I love but that. that. But that is the only way to happiness. And I'm just grateful to have that, to have been born in the covenant and to have a wonderful priesthood holder as a companion throughout eternity and special lovely children and pray that and grandchildren and pray that they will always build their lives upon the rock of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jean. Well, I think uh, I echo what Jean said. I think the, the if I were to say one word, it would be obedience, you know, just be obedient. Uh, obedience brings forth the blessings of heaven. It, it just simply does. That, uh, and, and, you know, to, 
be all in means no strings attached. You're you're with all your might, might, mind, and strength, and just do it. Just <laughs> keep your covenants uh, and don't quit. I one of the things that I've kind of noticed about a lot of the younger generation now it seems like quitting is an option. You know, just oh, I'm just not going to do that uh, because we live in a world that is so. There's so many options. Oh, I don't like that. I'm going to do this. Well, there really aren't a lot of options about the gospel. You either live it or you don't, you know, and you don't quit. I think uh, trust in God, trust in his servants, follow the leaders, just believe and just do it. Uh, I, I I don't know quite how to express it any better than that, that uh, I just know from personal experience that, yes, there are lots of challenges, but as Alma told his son Helaman, uh, the Lord will be with you through your troubles, through your trials, through your afflictions. He'll be there. And so we're all going to have troubles, trials, and afflictions. The question is, do we want to have someone to help us through them or not? Or do we want to just do it on our own? I can testify that it's a lot better to have the Savior on your side, and he will get you through. I've been nearly drowned. I've been nearly starved. I've been just all kinds of things. But the Lord's brought me through them, and and he will. He will everyone. And so that that's, that's my testimony is that he is there, and he is able to help us, not only able but wanting to help us and will help us. And so just... Dig in and go. Don't don't and and don't don't have quitting or uh, not. I don't like that. Don't have that as an option because that's that will lead you to unhappiness. And happiness is having faith in the Savior and following Him. Thank you both so much, Elder Gerberg. Thank you, Jean. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And it has been such a pleasure to have you. We are so grateful to John and Jean Groberg for being with us on today's episode. You can watch their story in the two major motion pictures, Other Side of Heaven 1 and 2, which are both available on DVD at Deseret Book now.